Everybody, Beth Walsh Stewart in the Koinonia Kitchen. We're talking more about identity theology. What is your true identity? Is it what you think or is it what God says about you? You know, I'm in the process of learning how to live like a kingdom kid, to live in this world, but to know I'm of a kingdom as well, and that I have a lot of good things available to me simply because I'm a member, a citizen, a daughter of a king. You know, my three natures, my body, my soul, and my spirit are in place. I still have all three of them. It doesn't matter what I believe. I have a body. I have to take care of it. I have a soul, and that's made up of my mind, my will, and my emotions. I have to take care of those too. And I have a spirit, but my human spirit was infilled with the spirit of the living God. And that is what changed me. That's what made all the difference. Because as God's spirit expands within me, as I seek to know more about God, that spirit gets bigger and it overshadows the other things. My body and my soul stayed the same, but my spirit was changed in an instant. Remember that word, justification? Just as if I had never sinned. My spirit got good, very good, really fast. <laughs> but my body and soul stayed the same. But did they? Little by little, they began to change too. I'll give an example. For me in my new life, there's less alcohol. That benefits my body and my soul. For me in my new life, there's new thoughts about what I think is right and what I think is wrong for me. And that's changed what I do, my body, and how I think. So I've begun the process of sanctification. Why do we need that? Because my soul wasn't changed, and God still allows free will. I still have my old emotional triggers. I still have false beliefs about God, about myself, about other people. So what does that mean? You know, my sin died on a cross with Jesus Christ, but I still live in a sinful world. And what's my identity? Am I a sinner or am I a saint? That's going to make all the difference in the world. Let's look back in history. Can you imagine Satan's dismay when God revealed himself to Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments? Until then, the devil pretty much had our full attention. I mean, there were prophets and kings, but they were very human. With Moses, God came near. He gave him tablets with laws written on them. Consider what that meant to mankind. Suddenly, there was a written right and wrong. 
and it was written by the creator himself. So it's as if Satan's response to the, to the written law given to Moses was to tempt us directly in relation to what they declared. For example, idolatry increased. Statues and images became posh. Cussing became common in pretty much every culture. The Sabbath trampled by the pursuit of wealth. Families broken. Crime, murder, off the charts. We even have serial killers. Adultery can't be avoided if you have a TV. If you have a TV, you're going to have the wrong thoughts there. Stealing, cheating on taxes, for example, is, is called getting a good deal or a good tax guy. Lying has become a way of life. We've expounded to white lies, stretching the truth. We have all different ways of saying it that justifies that it was okay to do. Just look at the news reports. What's true anymore? Coveting? Yeah, coveting, we just started an advertising market and we advertise. So coveting is the aim of advertising. And even third world children that don't have shoes now have cell phones. So what bound us to the law? It was sin. Sin, because we knew what we were doing was wrong because it was written on this, ta these tablets and it was told to us by God himself. But we still sinned. We still, we still broke down and wanted what we wanted when we wanted it. So what does that mean to you if you are a kingdom kid? You are a new creation. That means you are going to have new tools to deal with temptation. The Holy Spirit living inside you will grow stronger. And the stronger the Holy Spirit grows, the less those temptations will win out. You know, Satan used the law against us. And that's why we needed Jesus Christ to come. He needed to get the law out of the way too. He needed to institute grace. So there is a need for sanctification. And it doesn't come in an instant. But it comes through delighting in your new standing with God. As you hang out with God, you will become holier. It's just like teenagers. You remember your mom used to say, watch out who you hang out with. And it's true. The potheads hung out with the potheads. The smart kids hung out with the smart kids, the nerds. We, you know, we called them back then. And little by little, we became like the people we hung out with. The same will happen if you seek to hang out with God. What you think about yourself becomes what you believe about yourself. Belief is key. Remember Jesus in his hometown? There weren't a lot of signs and wonders because of a lack of belief. So how does sanctification take root? Let's look at the mind. In Romans 12, Paul writes that God wants to renew your mind to the truth of your new identity. You will be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then your beliefs about yourself will line up with your new identity. Let's look at your emotions. 
Emotions tie themselves to memory, smells, places. They are not always right. They are used to help us live well, but Satan will use them against us. So replace the I feel with the I am. I feel weak. I am strong in the Lord. This speaking of untruth changes how you believe. When you say, I am weak, you come to believe it. Actually, anything you put after the words, I am, is a powerful statement because you're invoking the name of Jehovah God. And then you're putting a curse behind it. (laughs) Weak, stupid, an idiot. What do you say to yourself? So you must speak truth, claim your truth. Jesus said his name is truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Claim your truth. Speak it. What will happen is that our belief will overcome our feelings. David wrote about it in Psalm 147. Remember now, this is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Sanctification is an ongoing process that will take the rest of your natural life. Those emotions that are strong and long-standing will take time. But ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Ask him to relieve them and to replace them with the truth. Now on to the third part of the soul, the will. This is where the conflict between your two natures will happen. Free will is one of the ultimate gifts of our Creator. He gave it to men and to angels. We get to choose how to live our lives. And we can ask for power to live a righteous life. God will provide it, but he always leaves the choice up to us. Our will is affected by how we have actively asked God for mind renewal and strength to overcome convincing emotions that are based on false beliefs. You know, even in the 12 steps, when you get to step 11, you're asking for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. Why do we ask for both? Because knowing his will doesn't mean we'll do it. We need extra power to do the right thing when the wrong thing looks so tempting. Let me give you a little example. Maria is a young woman who found Christ at age 26. And up to that point, she's been diligent in her lifestyle, controlling outcomes, working hard. She had to. You see, her parents were both heroin addicts. So from the time Maria was a child, she was often the only one of the three that could take care of the family. So getting kicked out of dingy hotels for lack of payment was common in her hometown. She grew up in Fort Lauderdale. And Maria would talk to the office manager and promise payment, and then she'd go to work. Begging was the best at the mall because wealthy people hated seeing a little girl with a cardboard sign. So she could usually raise a day or two of rent in one afternoon. Maria made it through school. When kids wanted her to go party with them, she said no. She knew where it would lead. She worked hard to get good grades so that she could get a Bright Future scholarship. That's a scholarship offered in the state of Florida. She used it to go to the community college where she got a two-year business degree. Her mom died first. When Maria was only 15, uh, her parents were missing for a few days. And for Maria, that wasn't uncommon. 
She liked when the hotel room was quiet and she could study. So she was working at a Subway um, sandwich shop four nights a week, and it was just two parking lots over from where they were staying. She knew they'd show up eventually. Sadly, when her dad came back, he was crying and telling her that he was sorry. Instead of grieving herself, she pulled her dad back together and got him into bed and to sleep. She fed him whiskey so he would pass out, and she kept a bottle stashed for times like this. She was 19 when her dad didn't show up for the last time. He had come close a lot of times since their mother had since her mother had died. But eventually there was some woman who kept him around and supplied his drugs. And to this day, Maria isn't sure if her dad is dead or alive. You know, Maria was on a date when Christ became real to her. The guy was really polite and kind, and he invited her to a concert in the park. There was this band coming through Florida called Casting Crowns, and um, after COVID restrictions were lifted, he invited her to go see them with her. When the altar call came, at the end of the show, she was in a fog, tears streaming, confused, hopeful, everything mixed up together. She was encircled by a crowd, and, and people around her started to pray for her to receive Christ. And everything has been different ever since for her. Maria doesn't trust people easily, so she was careful not to get too close to the church people that invited her to join their outreaches. She liked the music and the teaching, but she hated pretending like this church was her home. She didn't have a home. The concept sounded great, but it had never panned out in her past. So her expectations were really low. She just didn't believe it. She could take care of herself. Okay, I just told you about Maria. What false beliefs and damaged emotions is she trusting? She's trusting her old way of life, her survival skills. And how is that affecting her behaviors? You know, fleshly behaviors aren't always adultery, gambling, drugging. You know, isolation is a fleshly behavior. Self-sufficiency, that's a fleshly behavior. Maria is stuck. She doesn't even realize that she has identity work to do. You know... Identity crises affect us in all different areas, you guys. Pay attention. Are you struggling in a marriage? Do you always struggle in the workplace? Do you struggle with your personal walk with Christ? For outright resistance to transformation, um, there's like this unholy trinity that's working against us. The flesh, the power of sin, and then the enemy and his allies. And when you add difficult circumstances or people that are selfish, that are around us, it's just a constant interference. So fleshly behaviors are entrenched. They, They kick in automatically like a default setting. So how do you stop them? First of all, you gotta know you have them. You have to see that you're separated from people. You have to see the separation from God. You have to see the separation from peace and comfort and serenity. And when you do, 
Fight them. How do you do it? The easiest way? Hang out with God. That's right. Read his word. Spend time with other peoples that want to know him more. Pray. Meditate. Listen to music that, that praises him. Listen to, to, to sermons on a podcast. Listen to this podcast. But the deal is this. When we go back to Eden, the two lies that were told were to doubt God's goodness or to be like God. The more we remember the enemy's deceit, the easier it will be to remember the truth of our new identity. Only Christians can live in the realm of the unseen. God's hope is that we come to know him and love him so much that we live in the unseen more than the seen. He wants us to live by our belief and not by our experience. How do we live this truth? We practice our faith. You know, faith without works is dead. But remember when you were dead? You were dead before Christ. I'm not saying you're going to work your way to heaven. That's faulty thinking. Jesus did that for you. But now, let that tree that was planted in your soul when you received him bear some fruit. What does that mean? Let your life show others that you know God. Let your life show others a better way to live. What's the difference between a human attitude and a Christian attitude? One is changing and one is unchangeable. So look to see who you are. You are the beloved of the Most High God. He is absolutely crazy about you. And that is your true identity. It's time to take addiction out of the shadows and shine the encouraging light of recovery on everyone affected. Good Seed Podcast is powered by BethWE.com, a nonprofit ministry based in Vero Beach, Florida. We'll start the uncomfortable conversations that turn despair into hope and complacency into action. Connect, communicate, and thrive with us. Check us out online at BethWE.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk again soon.